welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. I want you to think back with me to last Thursday night. When you went to bed last Thursday evening, was part of your your go-to-bed prayer, thank you, Lord, it's still November, and Christmas is a month away. It's next month. And then you woke up on Friday morning bright and early, and your first thought was, Oh, no, it's December and Christmas is this month. Funny how things change so quickly, isn't it? Where all of a sudden we thought we had a long time before Christmas and all the things that would be happening. And then turns out we have almost no time. And there's more to do than there is time to do it. This Christmas season... I am going to be preaching a series of sermons uh, that I put together that I'm calling Sing We Now of Christmas. I'm going to be looking at four different Christmas carols, uh, three of them in depth and then one just a little bit on Christmas Eve um, Sunday on the 24th. And that would be after the cantata. And and, uh, we're going to be looking at some very familiar songs Uh, that we all know very well. And so I want you to go on a trip with me. I want you to I want you to go back two hundred and thirty one years ago this month. In the year of seventeen ninety three, just a few days before Christmas in the city of Salzburg, Austria, a young unmarried seamstress named Anna gave birth to a son, her third child. By that time, her, the father of the child was long gone from her life, and she was left to try to make ends meet as best she could. In those days, unwed pregnancy not only came with a cultural shame, it came with a fine as well. And the government would charge that young woman, Anna, the equivalent of over one year's wages. But she would have no hope of ever being able to pay. And so in their day, in that system, most unwed mothers, when they gave birth to the child, would simply abandon the child to die. Just put it on the street and let it die. Anna had no intention of letting that happen. And so she did everything she could to try to, to, to keep her family together and, and to raise this son. There was a man in the city of, of, Stras, of Salzburg, and, and his name was Joseph Walmuth. And Joseph Walmuth was well-to-do, not well-appreciated, not well-accepted, not well-liked, but well-to-do. He was not well-liked because of his job. 
His job was to be the local executioner. He was the hangman. You can imagine not many people wanted to get close to him and be warm and fuzzy with him. But he heard about Anna's predicament with her young child. And he said, I can do something about that. Maybe he was a generous man. We don't know. Maybe it was simply because he knew what it was like to be ostracized, to not be a part of what was going on, to be alone a lot. And so he paid the fine. And not only did he pay the fine, he agreed in writing to legally become the godfather of Anna's son and let him use his name, Joseph. And so, um, and so because of that, uh, Joseph was able to do things he would not have been able to do. Because a child born out of wedlock at that time was ostracized immediately. The biggest hurdle was that they would, he would not be able to be baptized in the church. And not being baptized in the church would mean that he was, although a citizen, would not receive any of the benefits of citizenship, including he would not be able to go to school, he would not be able to get a job when he grew up, he would not be able to be a part of the church. And because of what Joseph Walmuth did, some of that stigma was removed. But there was still a stigma there. He was still considered illegitimate. Not worthy of everything that everybody else had. I want to tell you, even today we see that happening. And we need to understand <clears throat> that there, are, there is no such thing as an illegitimate child. They have nothing to do with the circumstances of their birth. Parents and adults maybe made choices that were bad. But the children certainly didn't. Life hasn't changed a whole lot in 231 years for illegitimate, quote-unquote, children. Joseph was one of those. Not being baptized prevented him from being able to compete um, and, and complete uh, what it would mean to be a part of the community. And so he grew up not being able to do the things that every other boy his age and the girls could do. For an innocent boy who did nothing to deserve it, it was a tough life. It was a life that was, that was defined by rejection and condemnation. Young Joseph <clears throat> wasn't allowed to participate in religious activities. He couldn't go in the church building, which was the center of the community. Not allowed to go in the cathedral. But he loved to sing. And so as a young boy, he would go down and he would sit on the steps of the cathedral and he would sing. Even though he wasn't allowed to go in, he found comfort being there in the shadow of the cathedral. But it turns out, he not only went down to sing, but he sang like an angel. 
And one day, the choir master of the cathedral heard him singing out on the front porch. And he decided, no matter what his past was, he was going to accept him. He was going to change the rules just enough to get Joseph, young Joseph, inside of the building. And he invited him to become uh, part of the elite group of singers that made up the choir there at that cathedral. And he went in and he thrived. Not only did he have a beautiful singing voice, turns out he was quite a musician and learned how to play several instruments. Not only that, he turned out to be a very good student as well. And so because he was able to go inside of the cathedral, he was able to begin getting an education, and he got such good grades that the vicar of the cathedral said to him, you need to go into the ministry, you need to study for the ministry. And he said, but sir, I can't, because quote-unquote illegitimate children are not allowed to go into the seminary to study to be a priest. The vicar went to bat for him as well. The vicar went to the, 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 the diocese and worked the system to where young Joseph was able to go to seminary. And in 1815, at the age of 22, Joseph Moore graduated from seminary and was ordained a priest. In the next couple of years, in the following year, rather, he wrote a song which he's known for. According to Time magazine, it is the most popular Christmas song ever. Between 1978 and 2014, this song was recorded, was recorded more than uh, 730 times by different artists in different groups. We know the song. Um, Joseph wrote the verses in German, obviously, but they were translated into English. And we sing it this way, as we just did a moment ago, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We're familiar with the verses we just sang. We know them. Most of us didn't even have to look up at the screen to be able to sing those verses. But those aren't the only verses that were written. We know that, that Joseph Moore wrote at least three more verses, and maybe some others as well. But the three verses that typically don't make it into our hymnals or that we don't sing have a tremendously important message that I want to share with us today. It is a message of God's grace. It is, it is that message that God intervenes with his grace and he has the power to calm the turmoil that often defines the world in which we live. And so today I want us to look not at the verses we just sang, but at the verses we did not sing to see what God's grace can do in our lives because there are some there are some truths to be found there that will help us deal with the turmoil and the noise and the congestion of our lives even 
in this Christmas season. So take out your notes. We're going to be looking at three truths in which we find the presence of God's grace. Three truths where we find God's grace present with us each day. The first truth that we discover from Joseph Moore's writing is that Jesus loves those who feel the most rejected. He loves those people who feel the most rejected in our society. God loves them. Jesus loves them. In the, in the fourth verse, um, if we want to just say we, read, we sang three, and let's start with number four. Uh, but um, the, the next verse would be, Silent night, holy night, here at last, healing light. From the heavenly kingdom sent abundant grace for our intent. Jesus, salvation for all. Jesus, salvation for all. There are entire religions that are based on this premise. That there is salvation for some, salvation for the few. That salvation is not open to everyone. That you have to be the right person, the right kind of person, the right nationality, the right gender, the right, the right economic status, whoever it may be, that it's not available for everyone. Not only is it that there is salvation for some and salvation for the few, it is salvation for those who look and talk and act exactly like us. Our missionaries are working their hardest among people who don't look anything like us and don't sound anything like us. But if we're not careful, we fall into that trap that everybody has to be a white Anglo-American of a certain economic status to be able to be a Christian. And then, not only that, there is salvation for those who toe the line and meet every requirement and consider themselves a cut above everyone else. That was Joseph Moore's world 200 years ago. But it's our world today, too, that people are thinking that they aren't good enough to be a Christian. We see it all the time. Even in Christianity today, uh, we've seen that, that Christianity is contorted and distorted to present a message to outsiders, a message that says, don't even bother to come. We all know that there are people who will not come inside of a church. There are people who won't come through the doors of our church. If you don't believe me, come to a funeral service, a memorial service here for somebody who, who maybe was a marginal believer or maybe they had a lot of friends who are not believers. Watch how many of them stand outside and, and have to have about 10 cigarettes and wait until the doors have closed before they can make themselves come through the door. They don't come through the door easily and they don't come through the door on Sunday morning easily. And it's not because they won't like the music and it's not because they won't like the preaching and it's not because they can't sit for an hour or so comfortably. They don't come because they don't think they're welcome. They don't come because they don't think they're worth it. 
that they're not like the people inside of that building. They know when they come through the door, they are coming in with a life of sin. They're coming in with a life that's broken. And they think they will be different than everybody else in this room. And so they won't come. Because we bought into, and they bought into the lie that salvation is only for the some, only for the few. And if you're not like us, you can't be here. If you're not like us, you're illegitimate somehow. And you don't count. And we don't want you here. And I know that there are some people who just reject the gospel outright. They just say that can't be true and I don't want anything to do with it. And there are some people I know uh, um, who have who not yet accepted Jesus Christ because they have not heard the message of the gospel. Over half of the world's population is in that boat. They haven't even heard the name Jesus. 7,200 language groups have never heard the name Jesus in our world. But many of them don't come because they don't believe they qualify. They don't think they would be accepted. And they don't want to be ostracized. They've been ostracized their whole lives. Why put themselves through that again in one more area? Here at last, a healing light. Jesus salvation for all we all need that in in the book of psalms 34 18 king david said the lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit he said i know those brokenhearted people i love those broken hearted people and i want to heal them and then in isaiah 56 verse 8 Isaiah said, the Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. It is God's plan that they will be gathered. It is God's plan that they will be saved. And if you're here today, if you're listening to us online today, and you think you don't count, and you think that you don't belong here, and you think that you can't be saved, you're listening to a lie. It's a lie of Satan. Because every life counts. Every life is legitimate. And Jesus came to save those. Joseph Moore was born in a world that made him an outcast from the start into a religious environment that offered him absolutely nothing. It offered him no compassion. It offered him no grace and no hope of salvation. But the story of Christmas changes everything. The story of Christmas and the message of the gospel cannot be contained forever. And Joseph Moore discovered what it means here at last, a healing light. The power of that phrase leads us to the next truth about the gospel and God's grace. Not only is the gospel available because Jesus loves those who feel most rejected. 
But secondly, Jesus embraces us even while we are unembraceable. We don't think we can be embraced. When no one else wants to embrace us, Jesus says, I'm going to embrace you. I embrace you just as you are. Look at the next verse. We'll call it verse 5. Silent night, holy night. Sleeps the world in peace tonight. God sends a son to earth below, a child from whom all blessings flow. Jesus embraces mankind. Jesus embraces mankind. You know what? God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world with a message that says to all of us, congratulations on a job well done. I'm just here to tell you, God's proud of the work you're doing. That's not why Jesus came. Because we didn't deserve that message. We hadn't done well. We hadn't done a job well done. He came to give us a very different message. He said, I came into the world not because we are good, God sent his son into the world because we are lost. And here's the truth that you can write in. I give you a place to write. It's in a room for you. But this is a real simple truth. <laughs> this is simply, we need Jesus. Every one of us needs him. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. We know that. But maybe today you haven't joined the choir yet. And you need Jesus. You need what he has to offer. You may be online with us, and you need Jesus, wherever you're at. We need Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us why. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone what, to his own way. We, we've just done our own thing whether we thought we were doing good or whether we didn't care that we were doing bad, we've done bad. We've all sinned. And we've gone our own way. And most of us can see this from a distance. We look at our world, and we're heartbroken by our world, but we look at our world and we say, why can't we get along? We should be able to get along. We should be able to live without war, without, without, without killing each other, without without." mass murders and, 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 and weapons of mass destruction. We ought to be able to get along and follow the laws. We ought to get along and live at peace with one another. But we know we can't. In our heart, our hearts, we know it's not possible for us to do that. And there's a reason for that. It has nothing to do with who's in charge of the government. It has to do with our hearts. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And we can't expect because we're broken, that we're going to do right. Because it just doesn't happen. And so we find ourselves at enmity with God and enmity with everybody else. 
And there are religions that are built on the idea that God loves those who are lovable. And the truth is, he does love people who are lovable. But that's only part of the truth. Because God equally loves people who are unlovable. God equally loves the executioner of the city and the little baby boy that's born out of wedlock. Neither of which, by society's standards, was lovable. Jesus loves people. And when we buy into that lie, we wrongly assume that the message of Christianity is the same, that if you want to be saved, if you ever hope to to be right with God, you better find a way to be good because God will accept nothing less. God never asks us to be good, to receive his love. He says, I love you even though you're not good. And that's every one of us. Every one of us in this room, every person on the face of this earth, every person since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that's their definition. We're not good. We're not good enough. God shouldn't love any of us, but he loves all of us. That's the message of Christmas. The Bible teaches this. Romans 5 verse 6 says, When we were unable to help ourselves, at the moment of our need, Christ died for us, although we were living against God. And then down a little further in verse 8, it goes on to say, But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That's what Joseph Moore uh, was talking about when he says, Jesus embraces mankind. He loves you in spite of your sin, in spite of your past, in spite of your secrets. God loves you. And he wants to change your life. He loved you enough to die for you in his son, Jesus Christ. He forgave you for all you've done. He wipes out your slate. He makes it clean. He gives you new life. He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new identity. Why? Because Jesus embraces mankind. Jesus embraces mankind. And then thirdly, we see Jesus speaking again. Jesus understands you even more then you understand yourself. He says, I understand you in ways that you can't even understand yourself. I know you. I know who you are. I know your heart. I know your story. I know your background. And I can make it all brand new. Listen to what the last verse says. Silent night, holy night, mindful of mankind's plight. The Lord in heaven on high decreed. From earthly woes we would be freed. Jesus, God's promise of peace. Jesus, God's promise of peace. 
My favorite line in that verse is mindful of mankind's plight. I imagine every one of us has at some time had the idea that maybe God just doesn't understand my situation. I'm different than everybody else. My issues are different than everybody else's. He doesn't understand me. I'm different. I hate to tell you this, you're not different. None of us are different. We all come from the same broken family. Adam and Eve. Every one of us. He understands who we are. He knows who we are. And because we believe he doesn't understand us, we think maybe he doesn't even care about me. Because that would be the logical progression, wouldn't it? If God doesn't know me, if Jesus doesn't understand me, then how could he care about me? He must not care. And if you're thinking that today, wherever you're at, I want you to know God understands and he cares. He cares about you. We read in the the Gospel of Mark this story, this event that takes place. And it'll sound familiar to you. Jesus' disciples were in a, a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee one night and up came what the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. And so you see these men who are fishermen who made their living out on these boats far, fearing for their lives. They think they're going to be swamped. They're going to die. They're going to drown out there. They're counting the life preservers. They're thinking, if there's only 11, who doesn't get one? They're scared to death. They really are. And, and then they look around, and these waves are crashing into them from every angle. If you've ever been on a small boat, and the waves start getting really hard, and they kind of they come at different directions, you think they would all come the same way. They don't. Every once in a while you have other waves that come the other way and then you just think, oh man, we're going to die out here. This is not good news. And, um, and so Mark goes on to say that, that Jesus, you know, he's not counting their life preservers. Fact is, he's sound asleep. He's in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion. He's just having a pleasant night. And the disciples are in this panic. Jesus, wake up. Jesus, you don't understand we're going to die. Jesus, don't you care about us? I don't swim very well, Jesus. If you knew that, you would be up getting my life preserver to me. I saw just a short video of World War II veteran just a couple days ago, just by accident. And he was describing when his Navy ship, his battleship, was hit three times in succession by bombs. And he said, we had no choice but to go overboard. He said, we had 600 life preservers for 2,500 men. He said, I didn't know how to swim. 
we were three floors up from the deck to the water. And he said, well, I can't repeat exactly how he said it in church, but he said, oh, well, and he jumped over the side. And for three hours in the cold water, he had to tread water the best he could until they were rescued. said, the biggest loss of life in one, in one ship disaster. I think he said it was over 700 men died that day. These guys are thinking, what are we going to do, Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you know what's happening? But you probably know what happened. It says the disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're drowned? And then verse 39 says, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus didn't say that to the men. Quiet, be still. In this case, he was talking to the waves and to the wind. And verse 41 goes on to say, they, talking about the disciples, were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this guy in the back of the boat that goes to sleep in the middle of the storm and just wakes up and says, hey, knock it off? And it just changes everything. And everything calmed down. And you may find yourself from time to time in the midst of of a furious squall in your life. They come into all of our lives. We never know exactly when they're going to come even. They just come. And you might think, boy, I, I, you know, I just had one last month. Surely there can't be another one. Yeah, they come. They just come with regularity. And, and it may seem that Jesus is asleep on a cushion, unaware of what's happening in your life. And I want you to remember this phrase mindful of mankind's plight. Jesus knows what's going on in your life. He's not unaware. He's not unaware of the furious squall that's going on. And he knows what's in your life. And he cares. And most of all, he has the power to do something about it. He was the only one in that boat that had any power to do something about it. And the one thing they did right was to say, Jesus... And that would have been enough. They blamed him for not caring. They could have stopped before they got to that point. But if you've already passed that point, Jesus, you must not care about me. I want you to know he still cares. He doesn't stop caring. He doesn't stop being aware. He doesn't write you off. If you've, if you've said, Jesus, I don't trust you, I don't like you, I don't understand you, you don't understand me, you don't care about me, you may have said that a hundred times in your life, but I want you to know Jesus still cares and he's ready to do something about it if you trust him. If you just trust him at that point. Because he knows what's going on in your life and he cares and he has the power to do something about it. And so he spoke to the wind and the waves that night and the words um, that, that we often need spoken in our lives. Quiet. Be still. In other words, be at peace. 
be at peace. We need that in our lives so often. We need someone to turn that stuff off in our head, in our mind that keeps us awake all night. We need someone to take the excruciating anxiety away. It says, what will we do? We're barely getting by today. How are we going to pay for tomorrow? How are we going to face what the doctor is going to say? How are we going to deal with those things? Jesus, don't you care? His answer is, yes, I care. Jesus, but you don't know me. Yeah, I know you exactly who you are. Jesus, you can't fix this. And he just says, quiet. Be calm. Be still. Be at peace. Be at peace because I have the power to do whatever needs to be done. Because he came to bring us not only hope, but he came to bring us peace. That was the first announcement of his birth. The angels said in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know what? As human beings, not one of us is capable of manufacturing anything of that sort. We know we can't. No one ever has. No one ever will except Jesus. He's the only one who can bring that kind of peace that we need. And the headlines tell us that that's true. Your news feeds tell you that it's true. Just exactly what we're capable, we know exactly what we're capable of creating in this world, in this world that we live in. And what we are capable of is nothing short of confusion and chaos. That's what we do on our own. I'm so glad Jesus didn't tell those guys, I hope you passed your life-saving test at the local pool. Because you're on your own, guys. I got my life jacket. I'm on, you know, you're just on your own. No. He did not leave them alone. He didn't leave them with no hope. And that's true not only on a global scale. We, We just create chaos. We create disorder. But it's also true on an individual scale, isn't it? We create the same kind of chaos and disorder and confusion in our own lives because we make bad choices, because we're sinners, and we don't turn to Jesus, and we don't trust him. A few years ago, Amy Grant wrote a song that referenced uh, this same theme. I showed the whole video of it on Thursday night. Um, for those of you who came on Thursday night, that was your that was your 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 bonus for being there because I'm not showing it again right now because technically we can't show it again right now uh, online but uh, but the song was called I Need a Silent Night and in the in the refrain this is what she says over and over I need a silent night a holy night to hear an angel's voice through the chaos 
and the noise. I need a midnight clear, a little peace right here to end this crazy day with a silent night. Is that what you need? Hey, it's November. Christmas is a long way away. Oh, two hours later, it's December. Christmas is just around the corner. And the confusion and the chaos starts big time. Do you need a silent night right here? you need a silent night in the chaos of your life, in the confusion of your life? Well, here's the good news. The good news is this is exactly what God promised to his people. He said, I came to bring peace, the ability to end each crazy day with a peaceful rest and a silent night. He said, I know the days are going to get hectic for you, but I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest that only I can give, that the world can't give, that you can't manufacture on your own. I will give you that kind of rest. The world, your world, may be in turmoil, but here's the good news of the Christmas story. It is the heart of the gospel that here at last is a healing light. Even though I may feel like an outcast, I may feel like I'm just not the same as everybody else. I don't have the same kind of opportunities everybody else had. Jesus is that healing light that comes into our lives. That here is a Jesus who comes with salvation for all, who embraces you even when you're at your very worst. And he can calm a storm that rages around you and even the storm that rages inside you. He says, I come to give you that peace. I came to give you that rest. And I don't care how disenfranchised from the rest of the world and rejected and condemned uh, you may feel because of who you are. And you may not feel like you're able to escape the shame that surrounds you on every side. And you're afraid to face the future and what lies ahead. Because I can say this with certainty. Jesus came to bring you peace. A healing light to embrace you at the end of each hectic day. I hope this Christmas season that you discover that peace and that you share that peace because we get to be a part of that light that overwhelms the darkness, the chaos, and the confusion of this world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you don't leave us in the midst of the storm. You don't say, to us I don't care you know us you care for us you provide everything that we need to give us that rest to give us the peace that we can't find anywhere else you reward our hope our faith Father we pray that today 
Jesus would be glorified in our lives as we turn our lives over to him. Father, we pray for that one who's struggling, struggling with that sense of unworthiness, of the inability to be able to cope, that there's no hope for them. Father, we pray that they would see that there is only one hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ, and he has never and never will reject them. He will come to them with salvation, and his salvation is for everyone. So, Father, we pray that if there's even one hearing this today that needs to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they would make that choice to say yes to him as we sing. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.